heroes and welcome at the coalface. This is a conversation among friends working in international affairs. We share stories about our life in the real world and hope that a few interesting insights come out. Today I'm speaking with Samar Suba, a fellow graduate from Fletcher School's Global Master of Arts program. We used to be teammates working on a particularly challenging energy project in South Iraq. We used to chat over dinner at the camp's canteen after long work days. And as I spoke about my experience on the program, I think Summer caught the bug as well. Summer is warm, charismatic and generous, very dedicated to everything he's doing, hugely entrepreneurial, now co-leading a startup, and also passionate about his country's future, Lebanon. Hello, Summer. So great to be speaking with you today and having you on the podcast. Thank you for hosting me, Philippe. Great to be here. And uh, yeah, looking forward to our talk. I recall when we first met, so we were working alongside each other. And then uh, you you had a successful uh, corporate career already. And then a short time later, you decided uh, to become an entrepreneur. Uh, and initially as a side hustle. And then one day I heard, oh my God, <laughs> Summer resigned, jump out of the corporate ship with no parachute. So tell me, what prompted it? Um, well, that's a long story, so I'll try to make it a bit <laughs> short. Uh, first of all, um, this uh, entrepreneurial uh, drive was there since a long, long time. Right. Um, I uh, we worked together so in Shell, uh, as you said, in 2013, and um, Shell provided a lot of entrepreneurial uh, opportunities. Just because sure. we uh, we work on small projects, big projects, uh, new teams. The project yeah. we were together in 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 Iraq in Basra Gas Company that is a major startup obviously True. backed by, uh, by Shell and the government of Iraq. But it is a startup, and we were among the first people who, who started it. So I was getting the, the fulfillment for my <laughs> entrepreneurial uh, drive uh, through Shell. So I liked it at the time. But there was um, a time where things became too, uh, like out of control, uh, out of my control. So I'd like to, to have a say in a company's direction, in, uh, in my own uh, career, um, let's say, uh, drive or journey. And with time, I stopped having that within Shell. So that really, I think, was the major trigger that I either have to figure out a way for me to have a say in, yeah. uh, in what happens to me in Shell or in general in Shell's direction uh, or do my own thing. But the seeds for it started many years earlier. Uh, so when I started my company, the conversation uh, was happening like five years in advance with with few of no, my friends. At the time we met, um, the the job scope was hugely entrepreneurial, and uh, I mean, as you said, it was a company that had just been set up as a joint venture, and as individuals, there were not the, not that many of us, and so the impact that we had was was really huge. But for you, the, the the kind of driving principle is like you want to be you want to be able to steer the big big decisions, right? 
That's correct. That's correct. And again, I uh, I was heading in a direction that, uh, as you said, doing well in the job, uh, having the right connections, uh, whether inside our small project or the bigger corporate, um, and and that was enough at a certain point of time to uh, to either know what's happening in advance or have a say. And in general, we we. Um, we like to think that we are the future yeah. leaders of the company we are in. So if we will be at the leadership position in the future, I always think we should start uh, shaping that future from early on. Um, again, there were plenty of opportunities for me to do that. But the time where yeah. I felt that this is not the case anymore, I decided to make a change. Um, and also one of the uh, people I read a lot about is Jack Ma. Um, okay. of Alibaba and uh, he has a saying um, in your 20s what to focus on in your 30s, 40s right. um, so, uh, so I was thinking okay in my 20s I focused on getting my corporate uh, career uh, done so now it's time to move to another thing and I actually right. resigned on my 10th year anniversary in Shell which also happened to be my birthday as well so I, it, uh, I did it in a theatrical way, but it was, uh, it was the right move. You mentioned for you, it was like kind of a, a growing sense that you wanted to be in control of decisions. And that kind of prompted you to, to develop more and more in the startup space. Yeah. Uh, but then in a way, you had already a kind of a life plan a bit where you were looking at your life in, in chapters. And so kind of the stars, it seems like listening to you, the stars aligned. Um, yes, I mean, the stars not always align the right way, but eventually the <laughs> decision points were, were shaping up uh, for me to reach the decision I wanted to reach. And the reason I'm saying they're not always aligning the right way because so much happened since then. So, so tell us a bit about Doops. Um, so my company is Doops. Um, started as a same-day baggage uh, storage and delivery service. So the idea um, came from a personal pain point, which is you check out from a hotel, let's say at 12 noon or 1 p.m., but your flight is much later in the day. So what do you do with the bags? Either you keep them with the concierge at your hotel uh, and come back later, or you stay in the hotel until the time of the flight, or you take the bags with you. So whatever solution was there, um, was restrictive. So you either have to be in the same place or spend time and money to come back in a taxi to the hotel to pick up the bags. Um, and what we started with is a same-day baggage storage company, and then we deliver the bags later wherever you need them. So we pick it up from the hotel, keep it with us for a few hours, yeah. and then take it to the airport. And this keep it with us for a few hours did not exist. Because yeah. taxis deliver it on the spot, and uh, we 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 kept it for a few hours with us or a few days, whatever the customers wanted. That was the starting point. But since we started, we knew that the strategy or the vision is much much bigger. Uh, we do not need to give the bags back to the uh, customers at the airport. We can actually do the entire check-in from the hotels or from homes or from offices. Um, so, so that was the vision that yeah. we had since day one. And to, to be able to do that vision, we had to partner with a company that does check-in 
uh, for flights. And in Dubai, yeah. this is um, the Emirates Group, the NATA. Uh, so we started talking to them and eventually they acquired majority shareholding in, in Dubes. And we became Dubes powered by Denata with, um, with, with the mission to do uh, check-in and baggage solutions and yeah. technologies. The, the business idea started with, with uh, fixing a pain point that, that you had as a traveler, as a consumer. Uh, but then it sounds like as you, as you started looking for solutions for, for the consumer, the, the customer actually, uh, the definition of who is the customer evolved. Yeah, uh, and it was not actually the consumer; it was a whole set of other actors. Can you tell us a bit about that? That's absolutely correct. So we started focusing on customers, so a B two C service, business to to customers. Uh, but then we found out that um, a lot of what we do can benefit the airlines, the airports, um, even cities. Uh, so so we started to build partnerships that. Uh, who can help us to achieve our vision, like our strategic partner uh, partnership with, with Danata, who's also our financial investor and our shareholder, um, and also other aviation and tourism uh, and travel uh, players who can be our customers and sell it to their customers. So we, the, the, um, the company now have, uh, has a B2C, B2B, and B2B2C. Uh, yes. channels in which we acquire customers and we also in addition to the operations and the daily services we do we have now of airport uh, consultancy that we uh, right. we can provide to airports who want to replicate what we did here in in dubai wow and we we are now in more than one airport here as well so um so yeah it evolved for sure uh, having said that it's um, it's always uh, what we're doing is a change of behaviors uh, and change of um, attitudes that have been set since the start of travel. So changing these behaviors and attitudes and having people adopt our services uh, proved to be much more difficult than initially anticipated. But this is exactly what we spend uh, every day working on. So as you were trying to crack this new space, actually, like was was there a time you thought it was all over? Um, yeah, or many two days, <laughs> <laughs> right? Is there one in particular that stands out? So, um, as an entrepreneur, that's part of the game uh, because every single achievement you do, there's something else that comes and and uh, it makes you feel that you have to start again. And this can be either change of regulation or, or uh, change of travel behavior. So we, when we started the company, we started in Dubai, thinking this is a major, major travel hub. And uh, this is a place where travel will not stop until the pandemic hits, right? <laughs> so, so this is a time where things were really, really difficult when, when travel yeah. completely stopped. But we learned... Uh, coming from the corporate world to, to a startup is completely different. And uh, um, like you think you know how to do business, but you don't because you know how to do business in an expensive way with a lot of processes and, and lots of people assisting lots you people, to do yeah. that way. So, so doing it on your own, on a budget, as a startup, 
is completely different. And there was there were many times where we felt, okay, this is this is not gonna work. Um, but we then learned that we should not uh, react for a long time to anything, whether it's good or bad. So if it's a great thing, we can be happy for fifteen minutes and then be ready for the next the next thing that will come and might might bring us, you know, complete disappointment. And if we're upset, we should move on quickly because so many things change very quickly in in our world is that a broader lesson for entrepreneurs be be uh, be able to deal with ups and downs in the same way knowing that yeah. tomorrow's a new day <laughs> absolutely absolutely you know that a word um, the phrase emotional roller coaster it's it's really really true and in particular in the startup world it's very frequent that you have good news bad news you you meet a minister in the morning and then you're you're in our case delivering bags in the afternoon or talking to a driver so it's really ups and downs in terms of your stakeholders whether super senior super vips and then you have to deal with uh, with very administrative basic boring yeah. stuff um, and also the happy news or bad news also happen very fast so so yeah this is i mean resilience uh, to to uh, to emotions or emotional that's, change is very important. That's fascinating. So it's much broader than just a strategic up and down. It's within a day. The the, the types yeah. of interactions and events can range from, uh, as you said, like strategic deep discussion with an official down to the logistics and, and uh, operational Absolutely. aspects. Absolutely. So, well. so I think it's 15 minutes intervals to react to. <laughs> To stuff, you're either happy or you're sad, but make it 15 minutes and move on quickly because something else will come. So I think I think I'd like I'd like to I I don't think we can we can avoid uh, bringing up the the COVID <laughs> topic, but but I, I thought I I directly want to ask you. You talked about resilience, right? So how how do you convert uh, problems and issues like that into opportunities? Um. From our side, actually, it turned out to be an um, an amazing opportunity because it helped the company reach new levels. Um, this is now looking back, and we're still in the <laughs> pandemic, so so we're <laughs> there's a lot more to uh, to experience and to re- react to. But at the time when it started, like your business is in travel, and travel stopped. <laughs> there's not much you can do. Uh, in terms of you know managing emotions or trying to uh, drive the the people who uh, who are in the company, so it's it really was a tough time. However, me and my partners were we did not accept to just sit down and do nothing, and we directly uh, thought, okay, if we can do operations, let's do some thinking and strategizing yeah. and we released a white paper so we did an academic approach to to the situation um, and did some research why did this pandemic happen and why uh, travel had to stop completely knowing that this was not the first time a pandemic happens maybe True. the scale is very big but there were many similar uh, situations on a smaller scale including um, MERS right in the UAE yeah, as well yeah exactly exactly you, uh, SARS, uh, Ebola, MERS, maybe they were regional, even maybe at one con- in one country, but still, they happened before. So why did travel um, have to react in this way, where everything stops? 
And when we looked into the reason, we found one major thing is the way travel is designed, which is one airport centralized location where everyone comes to, uh, to travel. So if there's any exposure or risk of exposure, it is where people congregate, which in this case is airports. So to stop the risk, you have to stop people coming to airports, which means stopping travel. So we thought the future of travel uh, needs to be different. And we designed, uh, we came up with a white paper around the airport of the future that really relies on uh, technology, decentralization of airports, services like ours, but like many others, that brings airports to people's homes, to different parts of the city, that reduces the congregation of everyone in one place and make it easier to, um, to control uh, that risk. So that, mm. that paper, that white paper, took um, maybe four to six weeks to develop. Yeah. But once we've done that, uh, we, uh, it, it triggered a lot of new things for the company, including launching new products that we envis- envisaged as part of that white paper. We, we also became more uh, at a global level because many international and global players saw it and were interested in what we had to offer. It's. I find it fascinating listening to you tell tell the story because you cover the topic of resilience, being able to deal with up and down, and literally think in quarter quarter of an hour uh, segments. And now, now you're able to 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 tap into a massive uh, reservoir of resourcefulness as well to be an operations man and then a almost a think tank in the travel space uh, and and switch from one one to the next seamlessly. Uh, yes, obviously you you get it right, except for seamlessly. Like it's not always <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> seamless. But um, I think as as a company, no matter what the size is, especially in a startup, having the right team plays a big role um, in getting this seamless change from operations to to thinking. And we had the right uh, skill sets in the company to to be able to do that. Uh, we, as I said, loving work, or not necessarily loving your work, but loving the idea to work, uh, makes you think that, okay, I can't just stay still and do nothing. I have to do something. And just by asking questions uh, and discussing it and brainstorming within the team, uh, we reach the idea, okay, let's do a white paper. And then for this, we need to do research and then let's do the research. Let's write what we found out and eventually, okay, this, this added up to be a, a valuable asset to the company that we can now take and uh, promote. And, and you mentioned you're now acting as a, as a con- consultant uh, to, to other airports. Is that a bit of a pathway for you to, to, to grow beyond the, uh, beyond the Dubai eco- ecosystem? Absolutely, absolutely. So um, uh, our um, competences or skill set within the company is a lot of consultancy, strategic thinking, and and planning. So, and then we we did the operations as part of of Dubs. But going back to our initial skill set, uh, everything we we do, we try to document, we try to make um, put it in a process. Uh, make it in a structured approach to anything we do. So it, it makes it easier to take the learnings from what we've done in Dubai and develop it somewhere else or consult 
uh, consult other companies to do it. So, so we have the right infrastructure and tools to do that since we started. And um, now we are trying to utilize that and, and reach out to companies, to, to, to airports, and tell them, we think we have a good solution. Let's, let's just work together to make it happen. And having that is a great way to, to scale and to grow and to become global. And so you found that you're able to transport that business model elsewhere, even, even though it, it does require very tight integration with airport authorities. So in a way, there's something that's intrinsically local in your capabilities, but you, you're somehow able to, through the documentation of processes and approaches, to, to carry that into, into countries with totally different systems. Absolutely, absolutely. And the word is right, localization of what we have, because every location has its own ways, uh, its own authorities. And what we try to do is to make sure we have the right solution, no matter where we are. Um, and what we currently do in Dubai, we have a different flavors of it that we can apply elsewhere. Um, so, but it didn't come from nothing. It didn't come at the time of the pandemic, just overnight or over a week. It came because we have, since we started, developed uh, everything we do in a way that we can uh, we can scale and use it or utilize it elsewhere. I'd like to change the the topic a little bit. And you mentioned you're from you're from Lebanon. What was it like growing up in Lebanon? Um, what were you discussing at the at the dinner table? Uh, yeah, Lebanon is is an important topic to me. So I come from a village uh, up in the mountains, which you've seen. Yes, <laughs> uh, it um, it is like twenty five kilometers away from Beirut, middle of Lebanon. So uh, very accessible to to Beirut. Meaning my my father works there, my brothers work there, my sisters. So um, it was this. Uh, city life and village life very uh, intertwined together. So, so that's where I come from. So I can be. My school was in the village, but then we can go to the city any time of the day, um, and that I think is very important. And it shaped how how I like the city life, but I miss the village life until now. <laughs> um, my uh, my parents, so my dad is, is a university professor, also has his own company. Um, in addition to that, my, my mother is a, is a housewife and she actually uh, raised us up, taught us. Uh, she, um, she had to quit school uh, because at the time girls weren't supposed to be in school. Not, not for everyone, but my, uh, my grandparents put her in school and wanted her to study. But then peer pressure. And the community expectations stopped that. However, she, she, she still knows a lot about what she studied and definitely have a, has a better memory than I have. <laughs> uh, so she was for a long time um, responsible for our uh, education until we reached an age where she thought she can trust us to study on our own, which is at an older age than most people. So, so yeah, for us, education is very important. My dad was the first university graduate in, in the uh, area, like a group of yeah. few villages. He is the first university professor. So education since we start, uh, since early days is very important. And that 
drives a lot of the dinner conversations uh, to be around, uh, you know, what did you do today? I'm like, I studied. What did you study? And then get these questions and answers flowing. I know that you um, you had a very strong desire to to help uh, uh, Lebanon, and you you vol- you did some volunteering. Um, how, how did that happen? How did how did uh, what was the journey that took you uh, into that space? Uh, it's it's just uh, again part of being in my family. We're always okay. What are you doing for others? Uh, helping my my dad does a lot of community service himself he works a lot but then he always has time to see people and uh, and and solve issues volunteer in in getting committees around uh, social uh, welfare getting an insurance to people in the village and to again not one village more than one so uh, so we grew up just seeing that the importance of uh, social work of being part of a community of volunteering and my first um, and then i moved from my village school where all my brothers and sisters graduated from to to a city school so that was an american school i moved there for, like with a full scholarship in in grade 10 so high school and um, and in there i saw community service being really part of of studies you don't only do it for fun it's now part of your grades which i think is or was very very important in making me appreciate things more once they happened once they happen in a structured way meaning you do what you do for for a reason uh, so that also um, brought this idea of volunteer work and community service to to become part of me and when I finished high school, I started um, uh, volunteer with uh, volunteer work with Lebanese Red Cross first eight teams. So, and that Lebanese Red Cross is all, uh, mostly around volunteering, uh, and you do a six p.m. to six a.m. shift, so overnight wow. shift, where you go out and in in, um, in first aid missions and emergencies. So I did that in my first year of school uh, sorry first year of university and finished after four years when i left university so that was i think among the most important experiences of my life because well it you you deal with the the mechanic and the janitor and also with the ceo and an engineer just because in the volunteer work there's no difference of what you are or your background it's really what you do on the ground in terms of first aid and that made me appreciate a lot of the skills that you don't get to meet in a university or in a school or in a village um, and try to get uh, along with everyone so you still need people with different backgrounds to to reach your objective of let's say if if you're doing a cpr for for a person who had an accident that you need everyone to work together so it it really helped me in uh, in developing a communication um, and skills that works for everyone for example, and you mentioned a lot of this was also for overnight shifts. Yeah. Was was there a particular event that that stands in your memory that that you'd like to share? Yeah, I'm not great in programming because of that. Because my my <laughs> shift was a Monday, and programming class was Tuesday morning, so I was <laughs> never really awake or focused for that class. Uh, but uh, yeah, like uh, a lot of the 
we call them emergencies. So urgence is like you get called to a first uh, to an accident and you have to to get there any time of of the night. And yeah, one major major uh, memory is uh, like around 4 a.m. Uh, on New Year's on New Year Day, we were called to an accident that involved three cars, seven people, and two of them uh, actually were dead. But we don't call death. We have to do what we're trained to do, which is uh, go through the the sequence of uh, reactions until if there, you know, no no pulse, no breathing, you do CPR. So whereas uh, many people in Red Cross do not do a lot of CPR missions, that night I did two. And, well. and that that is uh, you know until today is a major memory. Yeah. So. Uh, we we well, didn't save two, but we saved the other five. Well, besides your 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 volunteering work, y- you clearly had a an interest in regional politics. Was there a specific event that that triggered that, or or how did your interest in in international politics begin? I would say being a Lebanese is. Is the trigger? <laughs> we talk about <laughs> politics a lot. Look at the map. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, so politics is something I I like. I like a lot actually. And uh, in our family, it's a normal topic. As a Lebanese, it's a normal topic. My dad's approach to politics is is actually an activist. He's a, so so. I attended with him a lot of political meetings. We, we're not with any party, so. So he follows a set of principles that politics needs to serve people, serve a purpose. And a lot of the meetings he, he attended and led was, was around that. And uh, I, I attended a few of the meetings when I was very young and, and I liked it. So it was always something I like, not only to speak about it, but to try to, to get into the science of it. And, and politics as it should be, not as it's applicable or, or applied, especially in, in Lebanon. Um, in 2006, uh, I went to, uh, to do my master's in, uh, sorry, my um, internship. So as an engineering student on the third year engineering, you have to do an internship for a summer somewhere in the world. So I went to the U.S. Um, and that I arrived there three days before um, 2006 war when Israel yeah. invaded Lebanon. So I was there at the time, so I couldn't do much. Uh, by, by couldn't do much, meaning I was in Lebanese Red Cross, so if I was in Lebanon, I would be doing a lot of the um, emergencies uh, that, that came with, with that war. But I wasn't. And I, uh, I started to do uh, fundraising for Lebanon, for the Lebanese Red Cross. And when I went back to Lebanon, I was really, really... Um, uh, like eager to go back to see how Lebanon is, how to help. Uh, but uh, so that's September 2006. I went back, but then quickly I realized, you know, the war and what triggered it and how it happened was uh, was not how it should be. So internally, we we I believe we won that war, but then we started to do internal fighting. By winning means we didn't lose. Right, but we didn't really win. If you look into it, and that became um, uh, like a big, big discovery for me because until that time I did not 
want to leave Lebanon. I want to work in Lebanon, be there, and all the passion I have for my country to be spent, you know, being part of my country. But I found how politics can be deceiving, how uh, we, we had a lot of internal fighting. So, uh, so 2007 was my last year of university. And then I started to apply to jobs and I found a job in, in Shell in Dubai. Uh, so, so I started, I think that was a major year where I started to look into politics differently, uh, to try to talk less about politics, because if every single person is talking about politics, it becomes gossip and, and rumors rather than uh, useful stuff. Uh, so I talk less, but read more or, or <laughs> try to talk to intellectuals, not intellectuals, because I'm not really, <laughs> but to like-minded people, uh, to try to, to speak about politics a bit more than what we see in the news. Um, I try to collect information uh, from different sources, the good or and the bad, or the, the sources that I like and the sources I don't. So, so it, it triggered this academic way of looking into politics, and that in turn triggered me to do my master's in international relations to try to understand more how to to look into politics um, and and uh, in a different way. So that's interesting. So you you were. It sounds like a gradual, or there was a trigger event where yeah. two thousand six, two thousand seven. You were like, yeah, oh, that that doesn't make sense. And then it it, it prompted a, a desire to to be more to look at things more from a from an analytical perspective. And then gradually, there was a desire to acquire maybe more more frameworks or more 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 tools to your toolbox. And Absolutely. and that 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 brought you to to the the GMAP uh, program. That's correct. Um, yeah. And I, th- I always thought it was super courageous as well of of you to do this program in the middle of a very demanding job, commuting back and forth between Basra and Dubai. And like, h- how would you say the the decision process went? And also, h- how did it change you? Um, uh, first of all, I blame you for that because <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I was uh, thinking about seriously doing my masters. Uh, at the time, so MBA was my main main goal. Uh, but then I talked to you, and I found that you're doing or you finish you finished the GMA program. Um, and one major like uh, restriction I had is I cannot do a full time one. I have to do one with work because I can't afford leaving work for for my masters. And the more I looked into an MBA programs of again master programs. Uh, there's a lot of value in classroom or full-time uh, masters uh, when we speak about the big big Ivy League uh, universities. But to do one which is not full-time face-to-face, there were very limited options. And then when I spoke to you and you told me about the program, I thought that that can be a nice one. Um, and, uh, and then uh, the more I read about it and talked to people about it, the more I became very interested so then the, the, the thinking became, can I make it work in addition to, uh, to, to my job? And the answer was no, but let's do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I, usually I get motivated to do things by, uh, you know, by challenges and dares and bets. So I, I challenged myself for that one. And, um, and yeah, it was a very demanding job. And I knew I need to spend many hours every single day studying. But having an end insight, which is a one-year program, 
makes it easier. So maybe if it was longer than that, I wouldn't have done it. So, so having the time limit of one year program, uh, I did some calculations in my head and I thought it's, it's doable. How would you say the program changed you? And, and if, if, I, if I think about you as an entrepreneur as well, so how, how does that fit together? Does it, does it, does it help you? The answer is yes, definitely. And uh, the quick answer as well is the 360 degrees view of a situation um, is a major thing that we learned in that program. Uh, that's the first answer. And the second one is the network. The network of people is by itself fascinating. And that I learned more from the people in that program more than anything else because they come from different uh, backgrounds, whether it's military, corporate world, startup world, NGO world. So you get to learn a lot of different lives that you could have True. had. Uh, but as a corporate <laughs> it's an interesting person, way of saying it, yeah. <laughs> exactly. As a corporate person, so I graduated university directly to, to a big multinational like, like Shell. Um, my, my family and my friends have different, let's say, career path or jobs. So I know that from them, but I really did not experience anything outside my university and, and corporate world. So the program introduced me to different people who were very generous in terms of speaking about what they do, how they do it, the struggles, the, 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 the joys of it. And um, so, so meeting that people, this, these people, and then the program itself teaching us how to look into any situation from so many angles, the politics, the economics, the, the negotiations, let's say, or, or people managing um made, made helped a lot in first making me take the decision to 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 become an entrepreneur so it's the seats were there but but i needed help and and there were many entrepreneurs in the program who who were very helpful uh, and it helped as well uh, now that i have my own company every single situation i need to wear many hats in terms of how yeah, would yeah. i solve it and being in that program helps makes it easier to wear these yeah. hats yeah yeah no that's that's really uh it's really fascinating and it, it echoes a lot my mind my, my own experience i did the program just before before you, you you did where um i hadn't realized like how blinkered corporate view actually is and even though we yeah. do deal with governments etc there's a bit of a perception that governments are a black box and then after GMAP, you realize that, no, there's different types and it's not a black box. And uh, it, it, it really gives a much more granular view of how, how the whole things, uh, how all these strands kind of fit together. Exactly, um, exactly. And if I can ask, like, I don't want to uh, make you sound like, a, like, a, like an old man, but mm -hmm. you, you obviously have a, a very rich uh, life. And if, if, you, if you were to take a step back and, and kind of, look at your life from a distance like you've got a a, a summer a summer in, in in lebanon volunteering and then a, a summer in programming and it there's a summer in uh, setting up a massive business in iraq there's a summer as an academic a thinker in politics summer as a family man summer as an entrepreneur so how would you how would you describe yourself now like is it are the different strands coming together or are you kind of a complex person with many different interests? 
complex person with many different interests. <laughs> so I, uh, definitely the experiences add up and you either get uh, something totally new or a bit of everything. And I'm still at a stage where I have a bit of everything. Um, the reason I, I try to, you said rich life, so I try to introduce myself to many things, as many as possible for, for one one major thing. Um, so it's always a, you know, a, a challenge finding one's passion in life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah. what are you passionate for is, is a major question. And I often ask myself, what is my passion? What is my skill set? What is it, like the one thing? Um, and you, you can uh, ask yourself that even as an entrepreneur, busy. And <laughs> I, I actually asked myself this a lot because right, um, right. It, it drives who I am, the decisions I make. Uh, and when you're speaking to someone, if you tell them about so many things you've done, maybe they'll be impressed. Maybe they're like, ah, okay, you know a lot, but you don't know anything well. So, so I try to do the self-criticism uh, and, and try to come with an answer. I have few answers, but the, um, I don't have the answer yet. And yeah. one, one guy I, uh, I look up to once said, like, if you, do, if you have a passion, great, go for it. But if you don't, you just have to introduce yourself to so many things to find yeah. that passion. Yeah. And it doesn't, there's no time limit for it. It's not in your 20s, 30s, 40s, or anything. So, um, so I have the things I'm passionate about. Um, and I'm always looking for, for new experiences, either that makes me experience these passions or finding new ones. Um, but definitely having uh, right now as a family man, I think everything becomes uh, more calculated, slower. In the past, I used to do things faster, lots of energy uh, everywhere. Now, now it's, it's a bit more take a step back. How would this help the family? How would this help my daughter? Right, etc. Right. So, so it can be boring sometimes, <laughs> but I think the the right definition is maturity. <laughs> and you, you you're raising a little girl, and like, like, what message would you like her to learn from you? Uh, yeah, that's that's a good one. Um, it's. About whatever life throws at you, be, be able to, to fight and survive and thrive. I think this is the thing I'd like my daughter to, uh, to, to, to learn from me. So now I, a big question, like philosophical question I'm going through is like the purpose of education and putting her in a school. Uh, versus uh, life skills. She's still two and a half, so let's not <laughs> get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but yeah, for, for me, it's all about being ready to, to live, survive, and thrive no matter what life throws at you. And, and yeah. I believe the past few years, life throws at us a lot of stuff. So people who don't have the, the energy, the strength are, are struggling. And yeah, I don't yeah. want her to go through that. Yeah, so sorry I asked this question. I mean, for full disclosure, so I have a little one who's a year and a half, and uh, I know I tend to overthink things, but, and so, but, but I am thinking a bit about, oh, what message do I want to get that? That's why I asked you. <laughs> and, uh, uh, no, I, I see your point. Now, again, as I said, as a family man, not, I mean, in general, I have the same way 
of reacting to things. Uh, but when my daughter came, uh, so like, okay, I don't know who I am anymore. She she's the boss. Whatever she <laughs> says, I do. And uh, and uh, a lot of the decisions I I take are really for her. And it doesn't mean it's the right decisions. It's mainly with her in, in mind as as the number one uh, factor in in driving my decisions. And because life is is weird right now, I mean, True. It's, uh, it's for me. I think a life life skills are very important, and this skills to to make our daughters and and um, children survive whatever is thrown at them is an important thing to teach. Yeah, and I wanted to 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 kind of conclude with two two quick kind of tips and hacks type of questions. Um, you talked a bit, uh, quite a bit about um, the the need to 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 manage your energy uh, as an as an entrepreneur. So, what well, any tricks or any secrets? How, how do you how do you keep your energy? Uh, the um, sports play a big role. Yeah, but yeah. I'm not doing sports a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> and the thing is, you have to have this internal drive to do things, uh, rather than uh, you know. I I don't see myself as an introvert. I'm very much an extrovert. I rely on people to energize me. Um, but but as an entrepreneur, you have to have this internal drive when everything is going against you. You have to find the energy and strength to stand up and, and keep walking. So so for this, managing energy levels is through understanding when you need to fight, when you need to rest, when you need to react strongly to something, and when you need to just let it go because so many things are not within our control um, and when things really get get difficult sports is the answer so i'm not doing it often but i'm doing it now as a reaction yeah. uh, to things getting really out of hand so do sports get into physical activities um, having my my daughter like just play with her get 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 my mind distracted uh, from what um, what's needed so that the conscious mind relaxes a bit and and uh, it helps making better decisions uh, but but yeah it's just understanding that so many things are out of our control yeah, um, yeah. music also motivates me a lot lebanese music so yeah. <laughs> so one way to to get into the right energy level is to listen to lebanese music whenever i can uh, especially yeah. when i'm not in the right energy level yeah and I, I, is is that also how you how you how you able to arrange uh, moments of time to to have focus? Uh, given you have to switch so much from different topics, uh, st- strategy, operations, family, emergency, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Actually, going back to Lebanese Red Cross, so one major thing we learned is the moment you get into the um, it's a branch. So I was in in my. Uh, my mountain area branch the moment that door closes behind you and you're inside whatever you experienced outside is over so now you have to we fully focus on these 12 hours with your teammates etc etc so that was a learning i got since a young age and i tried to do it um, as well for every single you know 
um, topic I need to focus on to try to zoom into it and try to avoid the distractions from elsewhere. It doesn't have to always be hours, it can be minutes just of focus. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, it gets more difficult when it is your own company because you can't switch off. Right. But still, you have to figure out a way to do it. Oh, fantastic. Sam, I've really, really enjoyed our, our, our conversation. And uh, is there anything you'd like to share or, or, uh, or say uh, before, before, we, before we wrap up? Well, um, I enjoyed this uh, very much. It's it's great, really, to to speak to you, to to chat about the different uh, topics, and I um, I like to share maybe I mean the sequence of questions or the conversation is a lot of what we do now is a reflection of our experiences. You ask about my childhood, my volunteer work, and I often I mean the older you get, the more experience you get, you often forget about. Um, the childhood memories uh, or, or the past few years' memories. But the more you think about them, you find out that these memories actually shaped many decisions sure. that made you reach wherever you, you reached. So, so it's a really great talking to you and revisiting these memories. And I think it's something I would need to do more often to look into history to understand where I am now and try yeah. to utilize this to see where I need to go in the future. Yeah, that's. I, I'm. I'm. I'm glad this this conversation triggered a few, a few, uh, a few memories like like that. And if if I can share, I recently um, uh, did, did a bit of the same journey by th- thinking about my childhood and then trying to write down in in six chapters for different periods uh, what happened when who was i at that time who was there with me at that time and what was i feeling at the time and uh, it, 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 I, I thought it was it was it was extremely helpful um to see how, how i had um kind of encoded these memories and then looking back on them like uh, you know like what lessons came out and this is a very big feeling of gratefulness actually for for all of the good things that people did with me and for me throughout throughout this this time (laughs) yeah that's that's amazing it's it's a good way to do it six chapters i'll see how many (laughs) i would write (laughs) right (laughs) cool thanks again summer Uh, i'm uh, really looking forward to uh to to, yeah discovering what you do next (laughs) thank you very much Uh, really i appreciate uh, this conversation